Our Bible reading for this morning comes from the final chapter of the book of Amos, uh, chapter 9. It's the whole chapter. Please read along with me. I saw the Lord standing by the altar, and he said, Strike the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people. Those who are left I will kill with the sword. Not one will get away, none will escape. Though they dig down to the depths below, from there my hand will take them. Though they climb up to the heavens above, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from my eyes at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. Though they are driven into exile by their enemies, there I will command the sword to slay them. I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, he touches the earth and it melts, and all who live in it mourn. The whole land rises like the Nile, then sinks like the river of Egypt. He builds his lofty palace in the heavens and sets its foundation on the earth. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. Are not you Israelites the same to me as the Cushites, declares the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt, the Philistines from Kaftor, and the Aramaeans from Kerr? Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth, yet I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. For I will give the command and I will shake the people of Israel among all the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword, all those who say disaster will not overtake or meet us. In that day I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins. I will rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them, they will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Let's pray. Our loving heavenly God, we ask today as we come to your word that you would comfort and challenge us and you would help me to proclaim it faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. I've lived in Melbourne for 18 years and in fact uh, some of the people who are visiting us today are the first people that we met when we came to Melbourne, the Raggetts and Mark Jones and others and it's wonderful to have you here with us today. And when I moved to Melbourne I was um, kind of taken by the cultural differences. I definitely feel like a Melbourne person now but the most challenging thing for me was driving in Melbourne. And these days I'm pretty good, I know how to drive, straddle the lanes, I'm used to it when two lanes suddenly become one out of nowhere. But the thing that I've never done is a hook turn. Never. 
I have never done a hook turn. It's so counterintuitive. I always think I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to go all the way to the left and wait just so I can go over there to the right. It's so counterintuitive, but it works. And I think what we have in Amos chapter 9 is a hook turn. Because we have these two visions of Amos that seem to be completely contradictory. And yet they make sense. They come together when we understand the character of God. Because Amos chapter 9 tells us, there is no peace or restoration without God's justice. Well, if you're just joining us today, we have been in Amos for the past few weeks. But even with this um, opening vision in chapter 9, I wonder how you're feeling. How have you felt as you've heard the words of this man, Amos, who centuries before Jesus went from the southern kingdom up to Israel with a very unpopular and unexpected message? How have you gone as he spoke of Israel's injustice, their complacency, their selfish consumption at the expense of the poor, their idolatry and shallow religion? Israel assumed, didn't they, that they were under God's blessing because they were comfortable and wealthy. Israel, a people set apart to be God's holy people. They were to worship him alone and be a blessing to all nations. And they had failed. They had failed miserably and God was judging them. They were to experience his justice. How do you feel? How do you feel today as you hear this nightmarish vision at the beginning of chapter 9? Let's take a look at it. In verse 1, Amos says that he sees God and he hears him say, standing at the altar in the temple, he hears him say, strike the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of the people. Those who are left, I will kill with the sword. We know, actually, from the beginning of Amos, that in um, two years after Amos preaches, there is an earthquake in Israel and there is much damage. But when we hear these words, these prophecies, we're not supposed to just see if they match up with what happened in the future. We're supposed to remember what they evoke of the past. And when I hear these opening verses, if you were here in our series on Judges, you might be reminded of Samson. And I think that Israel are meant to remember Samson, not in God's temple, but in the temple of the false god Dagon. All his strength is gone and God is judging him and Israel for their injustice. And in one moment, Samson has his strengths enough to pull the pillars down on top of himself and all the people within that temple. But here it's much worse. This is God's temple and he wants the pillars to shake. He wants to bring the temple down on top of Israel. How do you feel as you hear this? How do you feel as you hear uh, verses 2 to 4? It's like a terrible version, if you know, of Psalm 139. This is the psalm that says, Oh God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Where can I go from you? If I go up into the sky, you are there. If I go down into the depths, you are with me. You know my my days, the number of them. 
it's a comfort to the psalmist to know that God sees everything and is everywhere and protecting them. But here, it's terrifying. What does he say? He says, Though they dig to the depths below, there my hand will take them. Though they climb to the heavens above, from there I will bring them down. They can't go to the highest mountain. God is there. They will not escape from him at the bottom of the sea. They are driven into exile by their enemies, and I will command the sword to slay them. I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. It's terrible. And in verse 2, Amos says, No one will escape. None will get away. This vision is the climax of all that has gone before. And I wonder how you feel when you hear how God responds to just, injustice and that he sees everything that goes on on the earth. For some of you, actually, to know this is good news, strangely, because you have suffered injustice in your life at the hands of people more powerful than you, or you know people who have been treated unfairly. It's good to know that God cares. Perhaps you are um, in some way identifying with or sympathetic to marginalised people in our own country or across the world. We want to know that God cares when it seems like the problems are too big. There is good news in this. The other side to this, though, I must admit, as we've read through Amos in the past few weeks, is that I feel kind of exposed. As I read about Israel and the way they've treated others, I actually feel very uncomfortable. I see myself in there, at least in parts, and in conversation with some of you, I know that I'm not alone. You see, I love my comfortable life way too much. I know that I live well while others are sleeping on the streets of Melbourne. I can be very selfish with what I have, even in my own household. I know that I use more of my fair share of the earth resources and that the earth is groaning in response. It's not to say that I don't try. I do. I try to shop ethically, but sometimes I'm lazy and I'm even ignorant of what my choices are and how they're affecting other people. I've been cutting back on my single-use plastics lately, but sometimes I forget. I sign petitions and sometimes I march. I look at the news and I find that I live in a world where people are so desperate to leave their own country because of poverty and persecution that they do things like get into leaking boats in the middle of a storm or on the back of trucks with no air and end up in worse places than when they started. We live in a world where children lead protest movements because they think that adults have fallen asleep. I know I live in a country where the First Peoples have significantly lower incomes, prospects and life expectancy than me. And I don't know how to respond. And sometimes, oftentimes, I say to myself, it's just not that bad. And Beck, you're not so bad. It's how I can cope with the injustice of the world. But the truth is that I'm far from perfect. And I know that we feel this as we read Amos. As Amos exposes Israel, I feel he has exposed us too. And Paul in the New Testament in Romans says this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How can we stand before this God 
Who can withstand his just judgment? Israel can't and we can't. No one will get away. No one will escape. And Amos goes on to say, uh, with this, after this bit, um, a kind of hymn to God, the creator God. But it's not good news again. What does he say? The Lord touches the earth and it melts, verse 5, and all who live in it mourn. The whole land rises like the Nile and sinks like the river of Egypt. He builds his lofty palace in the heavens and sets its foundation on the earth. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. And when I hear that, I'm reminded of Noah. It seems so desperate. In the time of Noah, God pours the water over the whole earth and wipes them out. Amos points out that Israel are no more special now than the other nations. They're just like the Cushites, just remote people, and even like the Philistines, their enemies, who also have a migration story, and God says he's responsible for that too. They were special because they were to bless the other nations. But because you have not, God says, I will judge you just as I do the others. Except, speaking of Noah... God is not only just, God is faithful to his promises. And he promised after the flood that he would never again wipe out humanity in that way. And he promised Abraham after him that from his descendants he would create a nation of his people that would last forever, that would extend blessing to the whole world. So even though this first vision is devastating and heartbreaking, there is a glimmer of hope. Look at verse 8. He says, yet I will not destroy the descendants of Jacob. God remembers his promises. And because he does see everything, he is able to judge, not just nation from nation, but into the nation. He says it's like, um, it's an agricultural image, sifting the grains of wheat in the wheat field. You have the huge sieve and you pour it all in. And as you sift, the good grain falls out and the pebbles remain. But in Amos's time, it's like he's got this giant sieve that's full of pebbles and they're just desperate for a grain to drop to the ground. But God says, yes, there will be a remnant that will come back in a later time. Well, we have the second vision coming. We're coming to our hook turn. And the promises of the second vision in verse 11 is that in that day... God will restore David's fallen shelter, repair its broken walls. The vision says that it's going to be better than ever. The house of David restored and all the nations will bear God's name and belong to him. Those ancient promises of God will be fulfilled. And through a remnant, a few grains, God's people will flourish again as they were meant to. Amos says it's going to be so good that the harvest time will last forever. You won't have time to plant the seeds and work the fields because the harvest will just keep going. It's going to be so wonderful. And in verse 15, God promises that they will never be uprooted again. This is it. We're coming to the hook turn. 
Well, we know from history, from the time of Amos, that yes, this came true. There was the earthquake. The Assyrians took the Israelites into exile. And then after a time, they did return. And they rebuilt the temple. But it's fair to say that it's not the picture that Amos paints. It was not idyllic. They were not in control of their own land. They lived there under other rulers. And they waited They kept waiting for this vision to come true. Israel continued to grow, but they were waiting. A new ruler, a new glorious era. Centuries later, centuries later, when Jesus began his ministry, the first thing he did was walk into the synagogue, his local synagogue in Nazareth. In Luke chapter 4, we hear that he goes in And he's given the scroll to read. He opens it up and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. He finds the place where it is written and he says to the people, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Is this the man? Is this the one who's going to bring in this glorious era of God's favour and peace and restoration? Jesus said to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is it. We're at the hook turn. Jesus' ministry, his mission was about justice. The words he spoke in the synagogue were for the poor and the oppressed. That is why he came, he said. When he spoke about God's blessing, he said, we read it from Matthew's Gospel, blessed are the poor, the meek, the merciful, the persecuted. And if you're not hungry, the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness... If you're not poor, the ones who are poor in spirit and know that they desperately need God to help them. The kingdom of heaven belongs to these. These are who God blesses, whom he approves of. Well, Jesus was the just one. Jesus shows us what it looks like to live the just life. He loved the unlovely. He touched lepers He touched dead bodies and brought them healing and life. He ate with outcasts and gave them dignity. He lived humbly. He fed the hungry. He washed his friends' dirty feet. He suffered injustice at his trial. His body was broken and bruised. He died an unjust death to usher in this new glorious era of God's peace and restoration. Jesus is the just one. When the seed is shaken, one grain falls to the ground, and that is Jesus. Jesus can stand before God, and he will stand before God on your behalf if you are willing to be joined with him. That is the news. That is the news of the gospel. That is the hope that Amos held out to the Israelites. 
wait. Jesus is coming and he's bringing in this glorious new era. In John, when Jesus expressed his anger in the temple, Mick referred to this last week, he went in and it was a lot like Amos's day. He overturned the um, markets in the temple. People were selling things instead of worshipping God. And uh, the leader said to him, what sign can you prove to, uh, do to prove to us that you have the authority to do this? And Jesus said to them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple, we're told by John, that he spoke of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus has spoken. The resurrection gives us hope for the future. We have peace with, G with God through Jesus' death and we hope for the restoration of this world because Jesus' resurrection, his coming to new life, gives us hope. We expect that Jesus will return again. We are still living in a time where all those things I described, all the pain and anguish we still see around us and we feel, we feel that we want it to be over. It's right to feel that. It's right to lament what's going on in our world and to repent of our part in it. It's right to wait and hope for the time where Jesus is going to finally bring fulfilment and restoration to the world for good. Well, how else can we respond? Repentance and lamentation is one way. It's actually the thing that was kind of the nail in the coffin for Israel. I don't know if you noticed it in verse 10. The worst thing that, they, uh, that was the sinners who die by the sword are those who say disaster will not overtake us, who have not listened to God's word and the words of his prophet. We need to listen to God. We need to continue to remember that we trust in Jesus. And if you, do, if you haven't done that yet in your own life, I encourage you to do it, to know that there is real peace with God in relationship with Jesus and hope for the future. The other thing that I think we can do is we can sit in the, uh, the shelter of David. Let's go back to um, the beginning of that second vision in verse 11. Amos says something really interesting. He says, in that day, uh, God says, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins. And the word he uses for shelter is not uh, temple or house, it's sukkah, which I don't usually put the other, the Hebrew word or whatever in there, but it's really important. Let me tell you a story from about a week ago. Christine Perrot and I um, have been part of an interfaith women's group and we went to a meeting at the synagogue in East Melbourne during their festival of the booths. This is a festival that dates back to the Exodus. They've been doing this festival since Leviticus. Jews are still doing this in Melbourne today and for seven days every year they build, well they build this kind of tent next to their house. This was next to the synagogue. So we turned up for our meeting and we didn't go into the synagogue. They said, go down that way. And we walked down this um, pathway and there was a tarp, a blue tarp hanging off the side of the synagogue. So we 
it was raining, we kind of took it aside and we walked in and there were some trestle tables and there was food on the table and there was all this fruit hanging from the ceiling. But the ceiling was made of bamboo and it was raining and the rain was coming in. And the rabbi spoke to us, welcomed us and said, this is the festival of the booths and we do this every year. And the idea is that for seven days we do as much of life as we can, not in our homes or in the synagogue, but in the tent. And when we do this, we're remembering that God rescued us out of Egypt. We're remembering what it was like to live and trust in God when we didn't have homes or temples or synagogues. And it's the happiest time of the year, he said. It's the happiest time because when we sit there, we're so thankful for all that God's given us. And we remember, actually, that our homes are just temporary anyway. That all we have is a gift from God and that the greatest treasure we have is God. I was very moved by this. And then the next thing he said to us is, and the other thing about the tent, the sukkah, is that it's a place of welcome. Anyone can come in here. Not everyone can go into all the parts of the synagogue, but you are welcome. And Christine and I felt, probably in a way that we'd never experienced before, what it's like to be a Gentile entering into the people of God. Part of Israel, completely different cultural um, backgrounds. Welcome, welcome, sit with us, eat with us. We feed you, we do hospitality. It started to rain. Shall we go into the synagogue? No, no, no. The idea of sitting in the sukkah is it's okay if a bit of rain falls on your head. This is what it's like. And I want to say that when we live between the cross and Jesus' return, if we're going to be a people of justice, then let's think about sitting in the tent of God. This is a kind of mindset that we can have. See, the problem with rebuilding the temple, and the other prophets do talk about the temple, but Amos is the prophet of justice. The problem about talking about rebuilding and the temple and houses is that it's that kind of illusion of, of permanency and security. Whereas if you think about living in the tabernacle or the tent, it's the reminder that actually everything we have is from God and everything we have is actually temporary and we may not have it forever. But actually that's okay. We can be thankful and we can depend on God for what we have. So that's one thing I wanted to say, that we can do that. And as we think about that, we can encourage one another to keep our expectations of life simple if we're going to be the just people. We don't have to worry that we don't have everything we might want. We probably have everything we need. And if we don't, we might extend that to the person who needs something. In the, in the sukkah, you can have conversations with people about life. You can ask for accountability over big financial decisions. I've loved, in the last few weeks, having conversations with people about how they might use their money or whether it's right for them to have something that just seems like a normal thing that everybody might have. This is what the Spirit is do doing in us in this time as we wait for Jesus to return, softening our hearts. If you have children in your care, and I say this because we've had Elijah's baptism, can I ask you not to model aspiration to them? or at least not model aspiration for ourselves. If we're going to work against poverty in the world, then we need to say that we need to share more. Now, the big thing about this welcome, 
the big thing about Jesus as the hook turn is that uh, we welcome others into the tent. Do you remember when we were doing Crossing the Isle, we read the Council of Jerusalem. And when they were arguing, who should come into the tent? Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to follow the law? James actually quotes from Amos. His argument is, don't you remember how the prophet said this, that after I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, uh, its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and even all the Gentiles who bear my name? This is the vision of Amos, for all people to know God's peace and restoration. We have a long way to go, I think, in this world to learn justice. I feel like I have a long way to go. Can we commit as a community to keep learning, to keep listening to one another, to keep being humble and challenging one another? Let's go to the justice conference. I don't know if you ever sit there and think that's not for me. We follow Jesus, the just one. As the spirit works in us, we are being drawn more and more to care for uh, justice in this world as we wait for uh, Jesus to come and make all things new. And can we be distinctive as we do this? People of hope rather than people of anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety in the world over things like climate justice, especially in our children. We want to say we're doing our best. We're asking God to work in the world but ultimately we trust him for all these things. We can be people of hope and peace and restoration. There's a song that I've been listening to as we've um, been studying Amos, and I thought it might be a nice reflective piece for us to finish the series, and Ash is going to play it. So I just invite you to hear it as a prayer. And grant us your salvation. Oh God, will you restore us? And grant us your salvation. I will hear what God proclaims. God proclaims peace. Kindness and truth shall meet. Justice and peace shall kiss. Oh God, will you restore us and grant us your that I choose to loosen the bonds of the oppressed and break their chains let righteousness and justice go out before you then you will call out and I will hear oh God will you restore to 
his salvation to those who call on him he will incline his ear and hear their prayers truth shall spring out of the earth justice will rain down from heaven oh, oh God will you Oh